0: This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. If you would, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are, as you can imagine, coming to the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It has been a joy and a privilege for me... To spend this year walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, even as we were finishing up uh, Genesis uh, through the preaching of Travis and others. And this morning, we have come to the very end of Paul's letter. And it's my intention for us this morning to spend time considering these words of God in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you may also know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word. We will consider these 13 verses this morning in three sections. And so if you're taking notes, this will be the outline of the sermon. The first section, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Verses 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul instructs us, exhorts us, and commands us to be strong in the Lord. If we are to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ... If we are to withstand the schemes of the devil, we must be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Secondly, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. In verses 13 through 18, the Apostle Paul teaches us that God Almighty has given his people a spiritual armor that we may be able to stand in the evil day and to withstand the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. And lastly, be encouraged in your heart. Be encouraged in your heart. Verses 19-22, through the Apostle Paul reminds us that this letter, this entire letter, is meant to encourage us in this life and to prepare us for the life to come. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. Be encouraged in your hearts. Let's pray. Let's ask God to be with us as we consider his word. Father, what we know not, teach us. Father, what we have not, give us. And Father, what we are not, make us. Speak, O Lord, we pray, through your word, we are servants are listening, and do this for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well first, Paul exhorts us to be strong in the Lord. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Paul, in verse 10, is transitioning. He's transitioning out of his extended application of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus. Since chapter 4, verse 1, Paul has been exhorting us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to do so with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul exhorted us to be imitators of God as beloved children by walking in love and walking in light and walking in wisdom. And the Apostle Paul applied these words of exhortation to the most basic of human relationships in marriage and in the family and in the world. And all that Paul has been doing in these applications in chapter 4 and 5 and 6 is but the application of the grand and glorious realities that he laid out for us in Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3. Do you remember, beloved, that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Do you remember, beloved, that you were chosen before the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and blameless before God? Do you remember, beloved, that in love God predestined you for adoption through His Son Jesus Christ? I wonder if you remember, beloved, that God has lavished upon you in all wisdom and insight the riches of His grace in kindness and the forgiveness of your trespasses and that you, beloved, have redemption from your sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Beloved, do you know that you who were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, you who once followed after the prince of the power of the air, that wicked spirit even now at work in the sons of disobedience, that you, beloved, were once a child of wrath, but that you were made a child of God, that you were raised from death to life, and that you were seated with Christ even now in the heavenly places, Perhaps some of us are lulled to sleep by the day-to-day life we live, growing weary of our mundane reality, of the difficulties that we face in marriage and in parenting, in our family relationships, growing discouraged by our station in life, and growing discouraged by the difficulties of day-to-day life in this fallen world. Perhaps we too easily forget the grand and glorious realities of Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3 because we get bogged down in walking in the world of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. But the Apostle Paul doesn't let us end his letter without the reminder that we absolutely must have the strength of Almighty God to make it through this life. To persevere in the faith that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Beloved, we must never assume that we can walk in a manner of worthy of the Lord in our own strength. We can never be full of love and light and wisdom. We can never obey God's commands. We can never be godly husbands and wives and parents and children and slaves and masters unless we are strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And therein lies a critical principle for the entire Christian life. Only God can give what God commands. Only God can provide what God requires. And so we must be strong in the Lord. We must be strong in the strength of His might. Not in our own strength. We must have God's strength in particular. Because we are up against the schemes of the devil. Verse 11. It's uncommon, I think, to find someone who denies the existence of evil. But we certainly live in an age where it is exceedingly common to deny the existence of the devil. The apostle is abundantly clear, brothers and sisters, that our war is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, and against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, against the devil and his minions. And I think this should instruct us in the way that we approach our battle. Persons may be gripped by the schemes of the devil. Persons may be swayed by the powers of the principalities, But our fight is not ultimately against other people, against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the evil one, against the devil himself. And perhaps our own unbelief creeps in too regularly when we believe that we should only fight against that which we can see. But the Apostle Paul is here reminding us that our enemy is none other than the main enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the same enemy of our first parents, Adam and Eve. We're first introduced to Satan in Genesis 3 as he takes the form of a serpent. And it was in Genesis 3, in the very beginning, that Satan proved himself to be the father of lies. As he twisted God's word and tempted Eve and Adam to disbelieve God's word. And so spiritual warfare has its origins In Genesis 3, and in particular in God's own announcement that the wicked serpent in Genesis 3.15 will be put enmity between you and the woman, God says, and between your seed and her seed. And then God says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so from Genesis 3.15 until this very day, we are caught in this spiritual war. The entire Bible thereafter is an exposition of that divinely instituted antagonism as the Lord God Himself has proven true to His promise when He sent forth the Son of Mary to crush the head of the serpent. This is the promise of Advent and of Christmas, the whole course of the Lord Jesus Christ's life marked by the unceasing opposition of the devil and of the sure and certain hope of Satan's defeat. And so is it any wonder that among Jesus' last words recorded for us in Matthew 26, he spoke to his disciples and he said, watch and pray unless you enter into temptation of Satan. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying in our verse today. That there really is a spiritual battle waging in our midst. Schemes of the devil to lure us into temptation. But don't be fooled, brothers and sisters. This battle does not present itself in extreme circumstances or high spiritual mountaintop experiences. But rather, for our case... It presents itself in marriage and in the family and in the daily working out of life in this fallen world. And we need to recognize that we are not dealing merely with flesh and blood in any of these mundane circumstances but that we are dealing with rulers and authorities and cosmic forces and spiritual forces of evil. We are dealing in these mundane areas of life with the schemes of the devil. But the good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Satan is a defeated foe. The Lord Jesus Christ fought the good fight of faith in his life and yet he paid the penalty for, sin- of, for sinners like you and me. With his death on the cross. But the schemes of the devil could not hold Jesus Christ captive in the dungeon of death. The Lord Jesus has trampled on the head of Satan as he walked out of the tomb on that Sunday morning. And even now the Lord Jesus is reigning over the devil from the right hand of God. He is reigning over all things. Even Satan and his minions. And so beloved, be strong in the Lord. And stand against the schemes of the devil. Because Jesus Christ has won. And the Lord Jesus has made provision for us, beloved. He has made provision for us in the very armor of God so that we might be able to stand against the devil in our day. We are strong in the Lord, standing against the schemes of the devil when we put on the whole armor of God. Look with me at Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, Paul says... Put on the whole armor of God, Paul says. Fasten on the belt of truth. Some commentators have thought that the belt of truth that Paul is speaking of here is simply the foundational truth of and authority of God Himself. This generic belt of truth. Or perhaps it's the truthful and sincere motive of your own heart, some commentators have said. But I think it's more likely that what Paul has in mind when he says put on the belt of truth is to put on the truth revealed to us by God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in particular, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Himself is the truth. He is the truth. And He is the Word made flesh. And the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5 that His entire ministry was given to fulfill the Word of God. And in John 17, He prays for us. The Lord Jesus prays for us in John 17 that we would be sanctified by the truth. And then He says, Thy Word is truth. And so when Jesus says, when Paul says, put on the belt of truth, he is saying, gird up your loins with the truth himself, Jesus Christ, and the word of God. Do you recall how the Lord Jesus fought off the devil's temptations in the wilderness? Our mundane life where the devil schemes of the devil attack us is only because he has tried once to attack the Lord Jesus on the mountaintop. But the Lord Jesus fought him off. And he said... In his fighting, it is written. The Lord Jesus fought off the devil's lies with the truth of God's word. It is written. And so, brothers and sisters, if we are to withstand the evil one, then we must stand firmly upon the foundation of the word of God. We must believe the word of God. Do you believe the word of God? We must defend and proclaim. And when we proclaim, we proclaim how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can God say than to you He has said, than to you who to Jesus for refuge have fled? God's Word is our belt of truth. So fasten on the belt of truth, beloved. And beloved, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul's likely using a double meaning here when he refers to the breastplate of righteousness. It's certainly true, as John Calvin said, that Paul has in mind a devout and holy life for the Christian. And certainly one way to withstand the schemes of the devil is to stand firm in holiness of life. The Apostle Paul has been exhorting us for these last several chapters to do just that. To stand firm in holiness, beloved. But it seems most likely that the Apostle Paul is primarily referring here, again, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. Our own righteousness, as one faithful pastor said, would be no deterrent for the devil and his schemes. Our own righteousness, even at its redeemed and sanctified purest and best, is deeply, deeply flawed. Indeed, our own righteousness is but filthy rags before the Lord, Isaiah 64. And so the Apostle Paul here is calling on us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ as our breastplate of righteousness, as the very one who will guard our hearts from the piercing, flaming arrows of the devil. And so as that godly pastor also said, it's against Christ, the righteous one, in whom believers are united, that the schemes of the devil must fail. Christ is our defense against the enemy of our souls. The life of faith, the Christian life, is lived out in Jesus Christ alone. And because we are in Jesus Christ by faith, the devil has no more hold over us than he had over the Savior himself. And this may seem like an overstatement to some, beloved. But if we are truly in Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, if we are in Christ, His righteousness has been imputed to us. It's been given to us freely by the grace of God. And we are completely secure in Jesus Christ alone. Why then can the devil bring no charge against God's elect? Because it is God who justifies. Romans 8.33 Why can the devil never condemn God's elect? Because it is Christ who died. And furthermore than that, was raised from the dead and who is even now seated at the right hand of God. Romans 8.34 Beloved, for every accusation of the devil, for every temptation of your flesh, for every whispering word from the world, stand firm in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life for you. He died a righteous death for you. And he was raised and is raised from the dead, seeing that his life and death are acceptable in God's sight. And he did it. For you, beloved, so that he might be the breastplate of righteousness in your life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved. Beloved, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, just as you did yesterday, and just as you will tomorrow, and for every day, until the Lord Jesus has brought you safely home. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, his righteousness that will hold you fast against the wicked schemes of the devil. And as you continue in this march forward through this world, walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom, with this breastplate of righteousness and this belt of truth, Beloved, know that you, as you march, have ready-made shoes of the gospel of peace on your feet. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have been made ambassadors of peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to free us from the condemnation of our sin, to overcome our fear of death, that last great enemy. And he has given to you, beloved, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of peacemaking. And the Lord God says in Isaiah 52, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of great things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Our God reigns. Brothers and sisters, pray. That each one of you be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you, 1 Peter 3. And to proclaim loudly joy to the world. The Lord has come. Our God has overcome the world, beloved. And He is calling every one of us to proclaim the gospel of peace as we make disciples of the Prince of Peace. Brothers and sisters, as we go on the offensive, Do you hear the the, the progression here of the language in Paul? He says, says, gird up your loins, put on the belt of truth, take on the breastplate of righteousness, and know that you have shoes that are made for the gospel of peace. What does that mean? It means we're going to be marching out into war. We're going to take an offensive posture towards the devil and his minions. And as we do that, as we march out in these ready-made shoes, proclaiming the gospel you can rest assured that the devil's schemes will only increase. That there will be flaming darts from the evil one. Paul says in verse 16 that we should expect this. And because we should expect this, as we march forward with the flaming darts of the evil one and his minions coming at us, Paul says we must have the shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And I think that all Paul is really saying here, a lot of this language is is metaphorical and it's meant to paint a picture for us. And I think Paul's saying that when the flaming darts of the evil one come, we must persevere in trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our king has won, and he has won the battle through the flaming darts of the evil one. And so we persevere through it. We persevere through it. Too often, Christians have been guilty of looking away from the Lord Jesus. We do not fix our eyes on Him who has already won the battle, but we wander off and we look elsewhere for our strength. We wage spiritual war in our own strength instead of the Lord's strength. And we're often guilty of believing that it's our faith that gets us through the wilderness of this world. That it's our faith if only we could believe more or have better faith or have more of it. If only we believed and had faith that it would get us past the schemes of the devil. But beloved, it is not your faith that justifies you. It is not your faith that shields you from the evil one. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that justifies it is faith in the lord jesus christ that protects you from the flaming darts of the evil one it is the lord jesus christ himself who is in his very body faith in personified who is your shield of faith it is he is the one he is the one who gives you faith who sustains your faith and who will bring your faith all the way home through the battle you do not need more faith beloved But you need faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So often we fall into the temptation of of giving ourselves over to conjuring up our own faith. But it is Jesus Christ who is our faith. Our faith is in him. And perhaps you're here this morning, and you are most perplexed at my animated rantings and ravings. You would not be the first. That is certainly true. But one thing that I need you to know, friend, I need you to know that the only way that you can please God in this life and the only way that you will not be counted amongst the evil one and his minions, the only way that you will not fall under the judgment and the wrath of God in this life and certainly in the life to come is not simply by having faith. King Charles several years ago, before Queen Elizabeth's death, said that he would take up the mantle of being the defender not of the faith in Jesus Christ, but the defender of faith. What hogwash and nonsense! Your faith will fail you, but it be in the Lord Jesus Christ who will never fail you. Friend, if you're here this morning, you need to know That saving faith in the Lord Jesus is not only intellectual assent to the truth of God, but it is essentially entrusting yourself to God in Jesus Christ. Saving faith is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's abandoning your rebellion against God. It's defecting from the army of the evil one. It's putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and taking up the shield of faith today. That will save you from the darts, flaming darts of the evil one. And so friend, do that now. Now, today is the day of salvation. Pick up the shield of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing, you will join with these brothers and sisters who wear the helmet of salvation and who wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our victory against the devil is secure for the Lord Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. He is The victor, he has won the battle. Satan is a defeated foe and we have the victory in Jesus Christ, the helmet of our salvation. And so, beloved, for some of you, for some of you, I know that this exalted rhetoric, if you will, might seem to be flying over your head. Perhaps you are not experiencing this great victory in Jesus I know that for some of you, the flaming darts of the evil one drive you to despair. And for others of you, to disillusionment. And for others of you, simply to distraction in the Christian life. Beloved, you need to know that you're not alone in the struggle, you're not alone in the battle. Think of the godly Puritan John Bunyan who, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress and who wrote a, another book called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And John Bunyan counted Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners as his spiritual autobiography. John Bunyan, like the Apostle Paul, wrote much of his writings in prison. He's a godly man and imprisoned by the authorities. And in Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, John Bunyan wrote, a very great storm came down upon me, which handled me 20 times worse than all I had met before. It came stealing upon me now by one piece and then by another. At first, all my comfort was taken from me. And he doesn't mean physical comfort. He was in a dungeon. He means spiritual comfort was taken from him. Then darkness seized me after which a whole flood of blasphemies against God and against Christ and against the Scriptures poured upon my spirit to my great confusion and astonishment. Beloved, think about the Lord Jesus Himself confronted with temptations to blaspheme God when the devil came upon him in the wilderness. And beloved, think upon the Lord Jesus himself, who has provided for us the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and the helmet of our salvation. It's the Lord Jesus who showed us how to use the sword of the Spirit against the devil. It's the Lord Jesus who showed us how to pray to the Father when he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. And so, beloved, when we fight this fight of faith against the devil, it may not always feel like we're winning. But your feelings lie to you. They are but one of the schemes of the devil to get you to believe that the Lord Jesus has not lived for you and died for you and risen from the dead for you. When we feel like we're not winning, we should even more be able to sing when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there, the one who made an end of all my sin. Brothers and sisters, the whole armor of God is granted unto us, in our union with Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, we should follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus and of our brothers and sisters in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, they devoted themselves to what? To prayer and the ministry of the Word. Fight the schemes of the devil by devoting yourself to prayer And the ministry of God's Word, even as you are now. And I think this is helpful for us in in understanding what it means to pray in the Spirit. When Paul says that in verse 18, Paul says, pray in the Spirit. After he says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God gave us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so why wouldn't we pray the Word of God inspired by the Spirit of God? Use your Bible as a prayer book, beloved. Wield the sword of the Spirit in prayer. This is why the elders so often, the elders of this church, so often pray from a text or even write out our prayers after meditating on God's Word. We want to wield the sword of the Spirit by praying the Word of the Spirit. And it's my great hope that we are a people praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication for this church and for every other godly church in the world by wielding the word of God in prayer. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, even this evil day, and having done all, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And as the Apostle Paul draws his letter to a close here for us we need to be reminded that the apostle was writing this letter from a prison cell and yet isn't it interesting that his last thoughts in this letter are to ask for prayer not that he would be removed from the prison cell but prayer that he might proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that he may have boldness to speak as he should And beloved, you too have the same Spirit of Christ working in you. And so we ought to pray that we would have the boldness. May this be our prayer that no matter the circumstances, we would have confident boldness to wage war against the devil and his minions with the whole armor of God. Pray for people in this church to do exactly that. And then isn't it instructive for us that Paul ends his letter with the tender care of an apostle as he introduces Chico- Chichicus, it's a hard, hard word to say, hard name to say. He introduces Tychichicus, Di- Ty the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. <laughs> We're almost done, all right. right? Let's hang in there. I wanted to say Tychichicus, but that sounds too East Texas, so... Tychicus, this beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. And he introduces them to the Ephesians so that he might tell them everything about Paul's ministry and his imprisonment. And do you see what Paul says in verse 22? I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all that Paul has written in this letter to the Ephesians from prison and even to this very end is meant to encourage your hearts. It's meant to give you great courage in the midst of great discouragement. We have many reasons for discouragement in this life. But what great kindness and mercy and love has God shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit to give us this letter from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian Christians. And he did it to encourage you. And dear saints, let's be like the Apostle Paul, encouraging one another with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Another godly Puritan, Thomas Brooks, wrote a timeless book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. I would encourage you to to look at it and read it. Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And in that book, Thomas Brooks is trying to help Christians wage war against the schemes of the devil, using the whole armor of God. And Thomas Brooks, in one of his sections, closes this way, and this is how we will close. To close, Brooks wrote, Remember this, that your life is short, your duties are many, but your assistance is great and your reward is sure. Therefore, faint not, hold on and hold up in well-doing and be sure of this, that heaven will make amends for all. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we pray that You would take Your Word and plant it deep in our hearts. God, what great encouragement we have received from considering Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This book counted as one of the swords of the Spirit available to us in Your Word. God, may we wield it with great faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that that all that is contained in this Word is for us and for our salvation. God in heaven, we pray that we would be about the work of waging war against the devil and his minions. Give us victory now and encourage us with the sure victory that is to come. We pray that you would come, Lord Jesus, and put an end to all this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.